here. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity we have to listen. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear. I pray for every distracting spirit in the room to be bound up in the name of Jesus. I pray for discouragement. I pray for cloudiness of mind to be lifted. I pray that we would be doers of your word, not just hearers. Separate soul and spirit. Let that sword come now. And use the weakness of this vessel, Lord, to deliver your word. And I pray that you would change us. Just before I start speaking, I'm going to speak a lot of words up here, but before I do, could you just ask the Holy Spirit, open my eyes to hear, not Jonathan's word, to hear your word. Just ask him. Because his word is what sustains us. And his word brings life. And in his word there is power. It's not the word of a man. It's the word of the Lord. So let's go to Mark chapter 1. I'd like to present to you what I believe is just some Good, solid, doctrinal stuff here. And finish with a little story. I want to talk to you today about authority. This is a word that was on my heart last week. I did not end up sharing it, but I've, it's for today. So stay with me here because I want, to, I want to take you through some good, solid doctrine on why this is important. So uh, we, I don't want to get lost in the weeds. I want to stay together with you in this. So, so I'm asking you to, to listen here. We have the book of Mark. Quickly, Mark is the shortest of all the New Testament books. It was written much like a press release. It's just fast. It's a very busy book, okay? It was not written by a disciple. It was written by John Mark. John Mark was Peter's son in the faith, but he was not one of the 12 disciples, Okay? John Mark was literally called a helper in the book of Acts. Literally, an under rower. An under rower was what that helper word means. He went along with Paul and Barnabas as a helper on their missionary journeys. Consequently, this book is all about Jesus in his servanthood. Okay, you have Matthew, you've heard these phrases. You know, the Gospel of Matthew is Jesus as a king. Mark focuses on Jesus as a servant. Luke focuses on Jesus as a man. And John focuses on Jesus as God. So these these references from the the book of Revelation. You you have the the lion around the throne, one one of the creatures. And then you have the ox, the face of an ox as a servant. And then you have a man, as a face of a man, as the man. And then lastly, you have an eagle like the divine. Okay, so there's, these gospels are very important how they're laid out here, but the book of Mark is specifically about Jesus as a servant, an under rower, so to speak. Who was Jesus submitted to, everybody? God, right? I don't do anything unless the Lord is doing it. And yet he walked in authority. He was a man under authority and a man who walks in authority. It's very important for what we're going to talk about here. And so the book of Mark just gets right to it. There's no genealogy. It's not like Matthew and Luke where it talks about the, the kingship of Jesus and his family line and lineage. It gets right to the point. 
it jumps right into Jesus' ministry. So in chapter 1, he's, he's calling his first disciples. And then he, he gets to this in uh, Mark 1, uh, 21. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went to the synagogue, and he began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as in comparison to the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in church who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out, what do you want with us Jesus of Nazareth, have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, Jesus said sternly. Come out of him. 26. The impure spirit shook the man violently, and he came out of him with a shriek. And the people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about this spread quickly, all the region of Galilee. So authority here, excusia, power, authority, right, liberty, jurisdiction, or strength. That's what Jesus was bringing in the new that the teachers of the law could not or would not bring in the old. They had no authority. They had no jurisdiction. They were dictating. They were like mimes up front. They were, they, were, they were just simply saying phrases. It wasn't coming from within. There was no power. Notice the first demonstration of the use of Jesus' authority was to tell the enemy to shut up. The devil was actually saying correct things. He was actually saying Jesus of Nazareth. He's saying, what do you want to, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus told him to shut his mouth, why? Later there was going to be a need for understanding he was the Holy One of God. But right now, if that got out, then it was actually going to prevent people from coming and receiving the healing they needed. So Jesus says, shut your mouth. And the enemy had to be silent. And he had to flee. Okay, so this is super important for us because there is a time for certain things to come out. But there is a discernment that's needed to know what is right now requiring. What is it that right now is required? And Jesus knew the time he was walking in. Jesus in Mark 1, 21 through 28 was walking in power. He was casting out devils. But before he did that, where did he have to go, everybody? When he came up out of the Jordan River, where did the Holy Spirit lead him first? Into the wilderness. And so before he could walk in his power, casting out devils, he had to combat Satan and fight temptation. Literally conquer temptation from the enemy. Well, let's go to our right to Luke chapter 4 and look at that real quick. What temptations was he dealing with? Well, Jesus was dealing with the same original three temptations from Genesis chapter 3. 
The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. The original ones we're all still dealing with. The lust of the eyes in the garden. Eve saw that the fruit was good for food. The lust of the eyes. It was pleasing to her eye, Genesis 3, 6. And the pride of life. And she saw that the fruit was desirable for gaining wisdom to be like God, right? And so Jesus is taken into the wilderness and these exact same three temptations are put before him by the, by the devil. He says, if you are really God, make these stones turn into bread. And then he led him to a high place in verse 5. And he showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all the authority and splendor. It's been given to me. I can give it to anyone I want to if you worship me. And it will all be yours. He was, he was telling him that you can have the pride of life. You can actually rise above. You can have power. So Jesus here is confronted by a devil that says, if you worship me, I will give you the authority that's been given to me. And this is just a, it's a powerful thought. I've seen, uh, I saw a meme one time that says, uh, not all verses can be put on your refrigerator. And it quoted this, if you worship me, it will all be yours. You can't put that on your refrigerator because you have to know the context and who said that. Satan is saying that I will give you what's been given to me. And this is important because authority has to be given. So it's meaning it's coming from outside of an entity or a person, and it's coming into them. They don't have it in and of themselves. It's actually been granted to them. The word authority means the power and right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience, to influence thought, opinion, or behavior. I'll say it again. Authority means this. You have the power and right to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience, to influence thought, opinion, or behavior. Satan is saying, I got this given to me, and now I can give it to anyone I want to. And so this is what Jesus is up against when he shows up on the scene. Everybody's asking, where did this authority come from? Remember in Mark 6, from his hometown, the people are like, where did he get this, all this wisdom? Where did he get the power? Who gave him the authority to do that? And later on, the Pharisees are saying, by what authority are you doing this? In whose name are you doing this? And then you remember Pilate, right before Jesus is crucified. Pilate's like, don't you know who I am? I have the authority to release you or to crucify you. And what does Jesus say? You don't have any authority except what has been given to you from above. So this concept is super important. Because God made and created the heavens, number one, and the earth, he has complete authority over both. Yeah? So because he made, then he can give. So God, in his wisdom, decided to sublet some of that authority to, he decided to sublet that vineyard to some farmers. And that vineyard was the earth. 
And so he said in Psalms 115, 16, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to us. This is astonishing to me. God, who still rules and reigns sovereignly, has said, I've chosen to sublet that authority to you while I maintain complete control and power over both. So he gave, meaning he's generous and we are responsible. Anytime we've received that, we have generosity mixed with responsibility. So think about it, if you would, uh, like Pharaoh in Egypt when he's talking to Joseph. And he says in, verse, in chapter 41, only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. You have complete control over Egypt to do what you want to do. Only with regard to the throne will I be greater than you. That's what God's saying to us. You obviously will not take the throne away, but I want you to name all of the animals. I want you to rule and reign on the earth. So the age-old question, why are we even here? And we get a very straightforward age-old answer in Genesis 1.28. To rule and reign. God blessed them. And he told them to be fruitful, fill the earth, multiply, subdue, and rule, right? We were put here to walk in the authority that God created for us. Legally, it was given to us. Well, then we all know what happened in the garden. We legally signed the lease over to who? The Satan. So we, God on his side, signed authority over to him, and now he gets titles like this. John 12, 14, and 16 call him the prince of this world. 2 Corinthians 4 calls him the little God, the little G God of this age. Ephesians 2 calls him the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit working in the disobedient. That's his title. That's what happened legally. Is everybody following with me so far? We got given authority legally by the Lord. We legally signed the deed over to Satan, and he got control over the whole earth. God is still sovereign, but he gave for a season authority over the earth. Well, ultimately, we know the rest of the story. Jesus, our Joshua, our Savior, came and did something about that. Praise God. Jesus came and did Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. Read with me. Colossians 2, 13 through 15 says this. This is what the last Adam did for us. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. What a power-packed section here of the scripture. The Lord got back authority for us. And this is why at the end in Matthew 28, he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. It's all back again. And so now we can exercise that authority in a location called Christ Jesus. That's what legally has happened now. 
So now, all we're dealing with in this age is squatters in the land that the Lord has won. In uh, charismatic circles, a lot of uh, different words are given about, uh, about Joshua, I've noticed, over the years. Everywhere you place your foot, they say to me, or they might say to you, know that the Lord is saying, I'm going to give you that ground. And there's a lot of truth in that, but it's not quite biblical. And this is why. Because we are not Joshua. Jesus is Joshua. Where did Jesus put his foot, everybody? On the earth. So the earth now technically belongs to Jesus. It's his rightful inheritance. So just like Joshua was given the land, Joshua's foot landed in Canaan, and God says, this is your land now. There were still enemies in the land, yes? And so the children of Israel had to learn to dispossess by the power God had given them the enemy from the land that was rightfully theirs, right? I've used this example before, but we get done preaching and teaching here. The service is over. You go grab your Freddies and you go home. And who's sitting in your living room but two gang members watching TV? And they said, this house belongs to us now. We moved in. It's ours. You have two choices. You actually have multiple choices. You can say, okay, do you mind if I take the closet? No, you can't have the closet. You can go to the basement and stay down there in the bathroom. Okay, thank you. I won't bother you. I'll just be down here. You let me know if you need anything. The other option is to call on the authority and say, I've got squatters in my house and they need to go. Or if you're like many of you in here, you pull out your handgun and you get them out that way, right? That's another option. And if they say, no, we're going to go to law with you because this is our house, you then go to your safe deposit box or go to your bank or whatever and you pull out the deed. And you're like, this is my house. What are you doing here? Get out of my house. Well, I fear that most of us, many of us, have taken the first option when it comes to the enemy's possession of our heart and our mind. We come, we wake up in the morning and we're attacked with shame and guilt and condemnation, right? Or, or thoughts of, I'll never conquer this difficulty. And instead of saying, this house belongs to Jesus, I've got the deed, I, legally, I was set free from this in the name. I don't have to submit to you anymore. We're like, hey, I'll just give you a little room. You eat whatever you want in the refrigerator. I'll be over here cowering, just trying to get through life. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Instead of standing up in the power and the authority that Jesus has given you and walking in that. What was the first demonstration of Jesus' authority to the enemy? Telling him to shut his mouth. Now, I want to I take just a pause here because this is all like super fun to think about walking in authority. But I want to pause and say, I don't want us to shift or assign blame to the devil for something that we ourselves have caused because we've breached divine laws. Okay? It's very important to have discernment about this. Meaning this, if you are a gossip, if you're spreading tales a lot, 
Please don't be surprised that you have relational turbulence all around you. If you're living in sexual immorality, if you're crossing lines that you know the Holy Spirit has told you not to cross, please don't be unaware of the fact that you're going to wake up feeling condemned and shamed and like you're far away from the Lord. If the Lord has told you to stop spending or to stop getting into debt and you continue to do so, please don't be surprised when you have financial difficulties over and over and over. If you have unforgiveness in your heart and the Spirit has checked you on that and you will not let it go, please don't be surprised that you have bitter, unforgiving, mean-spirited people rotating in and out of your life like a revolving door. It just always happens to me. These people are like drawn to me. Well, that's absolutely true because you've given permission in the spirit realm for that to happen. I used to like to break the rules a lot, sped, you know, cut some corners here and there whenever I could, you know, just to kind of get over on the man a little bit, you know. Seems like to me, I got a whole lot of speeding tickets. I got pulled over a lot. Seems like to me, I would get random inspections by building officials when I was working on apartments. Seems to me like I had a lot of red tape from governmental agencies that were just always hounding me. They just never left me alone because maybe I was cutting some corners every once in a while. Well, then I got enough spankings. I was like, I think it's better if I just don't do that. I'll just wanna, I just want to live in a righteous, holy way. Not perfectly. But as I started doing that, I didn't get pulled over. And the inspections kind of stopped. And it seems like every, a lot of people just left me alone. Because when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes enem, even his enemies become at peace with him. And a man who lives with righteousness as the plumb line can go to bed without fear. But the man who has crooked ways, he'll be found out. So let's say that as far as you know, your heart's clean. You're like, I, I, I'm confessed, I'm not perfect, but I, but I got nothing, Lord, that I feel like that, that I'm disobeying on right now. But still, the attack persists, financial, just again and again and again, or emotional. There's, there's a wave of depression that seems to wash over you every two or three weeks or so. It just, it just hits you, man. Or maybe just unexplained, inordinate fear just comes up in your heart out of, no re- out of nowhere. I'm panic-stricken right now. I have no idea why. Emotional brokenness due to generational brokenness. It's just on me. My dad dealt with this. My grandma dealt with this. Shame. Condemnation. I just routinely feel underneath the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation. And I want to give you hope this year because you have the power and authority to live on top of those things and not underneath those things because of what Christ legally did for you and for me. And there's a call, listen, there's a call in this season for God's people, his church, to come up here. Revelation 4. There's a call to come up here where Christ is seated in the heavenly realms and to pray from heaven down to earth and not from earth back up to heaven. To pray from the place of victory and not praying for victory. 
I have conquered. I'm more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus. So this financial trouble that I'm in right now, or this regular routine of depression, I thank you in Jesus' name that I already have victory, even though I don't see it yet. I proclaim that you have won the battle, and the battle is not mine. It's yours, Lord. You try doing that for just a little bit, guys, and see what happens to your brain. See what happens to your outlook on life. I promise you there will be a shift. The mouth is the rudder. The mouth controls you. I'm not talking about name it, claim it, and I'm not talking about blab it, grab it. I'm talking about confessing the truth with your mouth. I'm talking about saying the truth about your circumstances, situations. It is not hopeless. This will not always happen to you. You have authority in Jesus' name. Amen? So, Watchman Nee, my favorite author, besides the Holy Spirit, Watchman Nee wrote a book called Sit, Walk, Stand. Just finished it with Jacob. So good. I've read it numerous times. Drew's doing this with his boys, I think, right now. If you haven't read it, it's a three-chapter treatment on Ephesians chapter 1 through 6. It's a simple, easy read. It's Christianity 101, in my opinion. We are seated with Christ. We must learn to rest in him so that we can then learn to walk because you can't walk unless you learn to sit down. So walk in a way that's worthy of the Lord. And then you finish in Ephesians chapter 6 where it says, take your stand against the devil and his schemes. Sit, walk, stand. The progress of the Christian life. I want to read an excerpt to you as I finish here with this. And he says, before I get to this excerpt here, that there are two kingdoms at war. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. We were born into a war. Let's not forget And we have the victory in Jesus' name, but it's not so much about going and getting something, it's simply maintaining what we've already been given and not being moved off the ground of perfect freedom. So listen closely to me. If it's easier for you to close your eyes and listen, do that. He says this, two thrones are at war. God is claiming the earth for his dominion. And Satan is seeking to usurp the authority of God. The church is called to displace Satan from his present realm and make Christ head over all. So the question on the table is, what are we doing about that? He says, I want to now deal with this matter of our warfare. First in general terms in relation to our personal Christian lives. And then in a more special sense, the relation to the work of the Lord that he's entrusted to us. There are many direct assaults of Satan upon God's children. Of course, we must not attribute to the devil those troubles which are the result of our own breach of divine laws. I just quoted this. We should by now know how to put these right. By the way, what do you do? Pause. If you are doing those things that I mentioned How do you deal with that? Because you can't say, devil be gone from me. If you're breaching God's divine laws, you first confess your sins. You ask the Lord to forgive you your sins that he might cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And then you repent and you change your way of living. Submit yourself to God first. That's what submitting looks like. 
Then resist the devil and he must flee. Okay, moving on. We have our position with the Lord in the heavenlies. And we're learning how to walk with him before the world. But how are we to acquit ourselves in the presence of the adversary? His adversary and ours. God's word to his church is stand. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The Greek verb stand with its following preposition against in verse 11 really means this. Hold your ground. Everybody say that with me. Hold your ground. When you read stand against the devil, it means hold your ground against the devil. That's what that means. There's a precious truth hidden in this command of God. It's not a command to invade foreign territory. Warfare in modern parlance would imply the command to march. Armies march into other countries to occupy and subdue. But God never told us to do this. We're not to march, but we are to stand, which means Hold your, okay. The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy really belongs to God. And therefore, it belongs to us. So we don't need to struggle to gain a foothold on it. Nearly all the weapons of our warfare described in Ephesians are defensive. Even the sword can be used well for defense or offense. The difference between defensive and offensive warfare is this. That in the former, in the defensive measure, I've got the ground and I only need to keep it. Whereas in the latter, in the offensive, I've got to go get the ground I'm fighting for in order to get it. And this is precisely the difference between the warfare waged by the Lord Jesus and the warfare waged by us. Jesus was offensive, but our warfare in essence is defensive. He warred against Satan. Remember Colossians 2. He warred against Satan in order to gain the victory. Through the cross, he carried that warfare to the very threshold of hell itself to lead forth from their captivity captive. But today, we war against Satan only to maintain and consolidate the victory in which Christ has already gained. By the resurrection, God proclaimed his son, victor, over the whole realm of darkness. And the ground Christ won, he has given freely to us. So we don't need to fight to obtain new ground. We only need to fight to hold it against all challengers. Our task is one of holding, not of attacking. It's a matter not of advance, but of sphere, the sphere of Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, God has already conquered. In Christ, he's already conquered. He has given us the victory to hold. Within the sphere of Christ, the enemy's defeat is already a fact. And the church has been put there to keep him defeated. Satan is the one who must do the counterattacking in his efforts to dislodge us from that sphere. Let me say it again. Satan is the one who must do the counterattacking to dislodge us from that sphere. We stand on the top of a hill called perfect victory in Christ. Circumcision, uh, circumstances and attack and warfare and discouragement and bad reports and relational trouble are all to get us to move off of the top of that mountain called perfect victory. Did you know that? You already have in Christ perfect victory. 
Everything is to get you to shift from that place. So here's our responsibility. I'm coming to a close. We need not struggle to occupy ground. In Christ, we are conquerors. No, we are more than conquerors, Romans 8. In him, therefore, we stand. Thus, today, we don't fight for victory. We fight from victory. We don't fight in order to win, but because in Christ we've already won, overcomers are those who rest in the victory already given to them by God. When you fight to get victory, then you've lost the battle at the very outset. Suppose Satan sets out to assault you in your home, or he's assaulting you in your business. Let's say difficulties mount up. Misunderstandings arise. A situation that you can neither deal with or escape threatens to overwhelm you. You pray, you fast, you struggle, you resist for days, but nothing happens. Why? Because you're trying to fight into victory, and in doing so, you're relinquishing to the enemy the very ground that belongs to you. For victory is still for you a distant thing, somewhere ahead of you that you can't quite reach. Satan's primary object is not to get us to sin, but to simply make it easy for us to do so by getting us off the ground of perfect triumph onto which the Lord has brought us. Let me say it again. In Christ, we're already conquerors. So let me ask you this, church. Has defeat been your experience? Have you found yourself hoping that one day you'll be strong enough to win? Then my prayer for you can go no further than that of the Apostle Paul to his Ephesian readers. That God may open your eyes anew to see yourself seated with him who has been made to sit far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named. The difficulties around you may not alter. The lion may roar as loudly as ever, but you need no longer to hope to overcome, for in Christ Jesus, you are already the victor in the field. Go read that book if you haven't read it already. This is just an excerpt from something that's immensely helpful in my opinion. The Lord Jesus is teaching us in a new way to walk in our authority. And so we want to exercise the keys of the kingdom, binding and loosing in prayer and in his word. And he's going to help us do that. Amen? Amen and amen. Let's stand together. I want to invite you this morning. If you need prayer for breakthrough in any one of these areas that you keep on getting assailed by the enemy in, Please avail yourself of the prayers of the saints. Please avail yourself. Secondly, if you got your heart touched by the conviction of the Holy Spirit when I mentioned transgressing divine laws, and because of that you know I got to do something about this if I want to see victory in my life, then I'm pleading with you to respond today to that conviction. Do not put it off. Make that phone call. Confess that lie. Confess that hidden sin. The Lord will heal you and victory will flood into your life in a new way this year. 
I also want to ask you to avail yourself of the prayers of the saints. Paul calls himself the chief of sinners for a good reason, so that we know no one is above anyone else when it comes to living a holy life. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Lord, I pray you would open our eyes to see the victory that we've been given in the name of Jesus. I pray, Father, we would not shrink back, God. I pray for a new revelation of authority in the name of Jesus. And I pray for a silencing of the mouth of the accuser of the brethren in all of the ears and minds and hearts and homes of these precious brothers and sisters and those who are listening online. I pray, Father, that you would teach us, Lord, what it means that we're seated. Teach us what it means to walk. Teach us what it means to hold our ground against the enemy, God. Help us, Holy Spirit, in this next season. Help us, God. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Bless you all.